I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. On the show today, I've got Claire Atkin and Nundini Jammy, both of which are co-founders of Check My Ads Institute. Claire writes the popular newsletter Branded, which has broken major stories about the advertising industry's ties to disinformation and hate groups. She's a brand safety advocate. Her work centers around building new sustainable standards in digital advertising while dismantling the ad-funded disinformation economy, which they're both working to do. Nundini is also a co-founder. She previously co-founded Sleeping Giants, the social media campaign that led advertisers to flee Breitbart and Fox News' Tucker Carlson and Bill O'Reilly. She's a trusted advisor to Fortune 500 brands, and she has testified on her groundbreaking work against ad-funded disinformation at the EU Parliament. On the show today, we talk about Check My Ads, the institute, the nonprofit, the work that they're doing, why it's important, the impact to marketers, and why marketers need to wake up. This is not a problem that evades any marketer. It is in every one of our ecosystems, and we have to do the hard work to get it out um, and to stop supporting things like disinformation. So on the show today, you'll learn much more about that, as well as how to become a member of their new nonprofit, Check My Ads Institute. Stay tuned and listen to both of these wonderful co-founders. 
Mundini and Claire, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having us. I'm excited to have this conversation. Brand safety is a huge topic. It is not every day that we talk about it on the show. Maybe we should be, uh, or maybe you guys should start a podcast doing that. It sounds like that might be in the future. Normally, I ask people their career path and how they got started to become a CMO because I'm interviewing CMOs, but I don't know that anyone really wakes up and wanting to be a brand safety expert. So I'm curious, where did each of you get your start? I was actually just working in marketing as a marketing manager for a tech startup back in 2016. I was basically a one-person marketing machine, so I had to know how to do a little bit of everything for my company. And in the weeks after the 2016 elections, I went to visit Breitbart.com for the first time. I am a fairly plugged-in person, so I knew and uh, I knew that Breitbart had been in a news cycle throughout the elections. I knew they had been putting out a lot of hate speech and disinformation into the media. I hadn't visited it yet, and I was curious to see what it was all about. And the first thing that I noticed as a marketer was not just the headlines, very shocking and inflammatory headlines that I was expecting to see. What I noticed was the ads and the fact that it was just covered in ads from really big brands that were following me around trying to get my business. And the first thing that I thought to myself was, wow, I'm pretty sure these guys don't know they're on here. I, of course, knew how marketing works and how programmatic works at a high level. And I, I knew that when I turned on my Google ads, that essentially allowed my ads to be placed anywhere on the internet. And so I, I knew how much of a sort of how difficult it is to keep track of where your ads are going. And so my first instinct was to let the advertisers know. So I I began running a account called Sleeping Giants. We ran it anonymously for about 2.5 years, two and a half years. And we started to let advertisers know that their ads were on this racist, bigoted website. And things were really raw back then. If you remember back in 2016, there was really a feeling of helplessness and, and anger and frustration. And this campaign took off almost immediately. One, because advertisers were shocked to find out their ads were supporting this type of rhetoric and they would get back to us immediately and let us know that they blocked the ads from their media buy. And two, because we were able to grow a community of people very quickly to join us in this fight. It was just very easy for anyone to take a screenshot of, of an ad on Breitbart, tweet it at the company and let them know that their ads are supporting this type of content. And so we were able to grow this campaign from an anonymous Twitter account to over 400,000 followers. And we were so successful that we were able to, over time, confirm over 4,000 advertisers blocking Breitbart from their media buy publicly. And there's certainly more who didn't let us know and just quietly blocked it. And over 30 ad exchanges also dropped the site from their inventory. So the issue escalated very quickly in the advertising industry and made Breitbart the first really toxic website that no one wanted to touch. The result of that work was immediate. Breitbart lost 90% of its ad revenues within the first three months of our campaign. And we ran this whole thing as, as a side gig. I was still working as a marketer the whole time. And I really thought that at some point someone would step in and fix the problem because this issue escalated very quickly for the advertising industry, it became something that everyone was really concerned about. Up till this point in the ad industry, topics like terrorism or 
adult content or gambling was the kind of things that advertisers wanted to knew they wanted to keep their ads away from. But when it came to things like disinformation and hate speech, no one had really thought about like how they were going to keep their ads off of something like that because a lot of these websites were classifying themselves as a news. So this presented a really big challenge, but it was one that advertisers prioritized heavily. And so I figured that that someone would step in. The advertising industry certainly I felt was I, I believed that advertisers were in charge. And so I thought we'll probably work on this campaign for a couple months and then the problem will be solved. <laughs> and that's not what ended up happening. Instead, what ended up happening was we kept having to run the Sleeping Giants campaign day after day. And I kept seeing ads for some of the same brands who had blocked their ads on Breitbart on other disinformation websites. And despite the fact that in the industry, there were conferences and new products being built around brand safety and companies that were being founded to solve the problem of hate speech in advertising and, and media. This problem wasn't being solved at a very basic level because I would just navigate to a new hate site and see the same ads all over again. After a while, it became clear that something's going on below the surface level of this industry. And that's what I began to really think about. And the question of what is it going to take for the ad tech industry or for the advertising industry to stop funding hate and disinformation became something that I began asking myself a lot. And around this time is when I met Claire and, and we started working together. I think I came to know about Sleeping Giants from my interview with Kevin, formerly at Uber, who I guess you guys... Uber was one of the sites that was, or one of the advertisers that was promoted on Breitbart. They turned it off, to your point, and it still was showing up. And they had to dig into the programmatic, you know, buying that they were doing to try to figure out where it was coming from because they had thought they had turned it off. So this control that we think we might have as advertisers just doesn't exist. And then second, the ecosystem is so murky, it's hard to figure out and it takes time to really dig in deep. But I think it was that conversation and you guys triggered Uber to essentially pull back almost a hundred million, I think a hundred million dollars in ads ultimately led to them suing their providers as well. So not only are you getting people in better environments and, and cleaning up the ad ecosystem, but you're actually driving other actions. Which is amazing, frankly, to be coming from a Twitter account. <laughs> I know it was such a surprise to, I, I received a message, a LinkedIn message from Kevin a few years ago. And he like out of the blue and he's like, Hey, I just wanted to let you know, I was at Uber when you stormed us with your tweets. <laughs> and we ended up finding $100 million of ad fraud. So thanks for that. And it just came out of nowhere. And it really blew my mind. I actually I remember posting about it on LinkedIn a while ago, like a couple years ago, and no one really like it didn't really pick up. But I was just thinking about it again earlier this at the beginning of this year. I don't know what triggered it anymore, but I was like, I don't think people really understand that a Twitter account helped Uber find a hundred million dollars of ad fraud and two thirds of its marketing budget being like burned. And that Twitter thread went super viral, as you know. Yes. Yeah. It drove a lot of downloads of the episode too. So thank you. Yeah. And Kevin finally got the credit he deserved for finding that because it was just a mind blowing amount of money. And as Kevin said on your podcast, his own coworkers didn't really care at the time. Like 
they were like, congrats. <laughs> it's, it's not their money. They don't care. It has nothing to do with them at the end of the day. And, and that's what I found to be just mind blowing. Let's go to Claire because Claire, what was your background before? And then how did you find each other? Yeah, everything I've done has led to this moment in the weirdest of ways. So I have a master's in urban geography, and I care a lot about like social cohesion and isolation, which are two things I think that you have to understand in order to understand the disinformation economy. And then I worked at various places within the tech world. I started building marketing departments for tech companies and studied international election observation, specifically around election disinformation, before I met Nandini on Twitter. I followed her first because she's really good at product marketing. And then she ended up following me back. And we would riff back and forth about marketing, not even about this problem. And then when she was coming to Vancouver, my hometown, for a conference, I said, do you need a couch to stay on? She already had a hotel. We ended up hanging out all weekend. And that's how we met. That's how we decided that this was a problem that we were going to take seriously. We had been running around for years, really concerned with the state of the industry and how it was creating a disinformation crisis. And we were waiting for someone to pick up the baton. And we realized that we had to do it because no one else was. It really is a crisis of inaction <laughs> like on on almost everyone's part until i found kevin i'd never had anyone want to go on the record talking about ad fraud no one wants to talk about this no cmo in their right mind would talk about it because it begs the question of the bad potential quote unquote bad decisions that they have made historically but it's not really about bad decisions. They're bad players. You may have bad decisions too, but it's even really smart people have a hard time finding this stuff, even though it's massive, massive. So I applaud you guys for picking up the baton and fighting the good fight. Yeah, I would just add that Kevin deserves a lot of credit for going on the record. As you said, no one else will do that. And the fact that he went on the record allowed me to tweet about it eventually. It went viral for, for good reason. It was a interesting story, but it also prompted a lot of others to review their ad buys, which is really what we want people to do at the end of the day. So Sleeping Giants is where it started, but now you both have started an agency last year called Check My Ads. So tell me a little bit about that. Why did you do that? When Nandini and I started researching the ad tech world and why disinformation was still being funded to such a high level, by advertisers who we knew did not want to fund disinformation. We realized that advertisers themselves actually needed help to understand the problem, diagnose their specific issues, and overcome them. So we created an agency. The call to action is in the title. We want people to check their ads. And we talked to over 200 teams in the last year about what we were doing. And about how they can stop funding hate speech and disinformation and found that advertisers are really struggling with this. It's not an advertiser problem. It is, but it's not as much of a problem for advertisers to solve as it is an ad tech problem. So we need the ad tech companies to uphold their terms of service. When they say they're not going to put your ads on hate speech and disinformation, we need them to be true to that, to uphold their own marketing. I think it does beg the question potentially is in an analogous situation of you have 
ad tech in the middle here, the technology provider, if you will, it's pretty analogous to Facebook and the disinformation that's happening on Facebook the, as the, Facebook is the technology provider, so to speak. I'm curious, and I know it's only been a short time, but have, have you had responses from ad tech players? Are they interested in playing this part to help clean it up or do they look the other way? Let's just say ad tech doesn't love us <laughs> or even like us. I think, I think Kevin, I'm not sure if Kevin said this on the podcast, but when he first contacted me, he said, I wanted you to get hit by a bus because <laughs> we were so annoying at that time. And we are annoying now. And the truth is that after we did our research, we really zeroed in on the ad tech industry as, as enabling bad actors in this industry and really being the ones that are sending the money directly to disinformation networks and, and bad actors. We've taken a very adversarial position to ad, ad tech. And we've also positioned ourselves as advocates for advertisers. So we consider ourselves brand advocates, as well as advocates for consumers, because that at the end of the day is the brand's client. So we represent solely the interests of, of advertisers and, and the people. And in doing so, we're taking on the ad tech industry for them. The fact is that the average advertiser and the average marketing team doesn't have time to go through and do the enormous amount of work that it requires to hunt down a disinformation network within their media buy. The average marketer is busy with a million other things and they're simply not disinformation experts or researchers. And to put that onus on the advertiser, to, to, to put that onus on a marketing team is just, it's really an abdication of responsibility for ad tech companies. Because as Claire just said earlier, these companies have in place an agreement with their advertisers that they will not be work with disinformation. And they're very specific about that at the language that they use in their supply policies. And they present themselves as, as having robust inventory policies and processes in place to keep bad actors out. So if they're not going to do that work, then someone has to step in and do it. And we've decided to be the, the folks that do that. You said something super interesting about Facebook that I would like to talk about. So Everyone knows at this point that Facebook traffics in hate speech and disinformation. They make money off of it. They amplify it. It's the job of Facebook to, according to Facebook, to amplify things that have engagement. And that's one of the reasons that we're in this disinformation crisis right now. But I want to say that that's not where disinformation publishers make their money. Facebook pages can be amplified on the Facebook algorithm, but it's only when Facebook users click on the stories, on the headlines, that they go to this other website, the disinformation website, and that's where they get the payout because it's on the website that the ads run. And so the disinformation publishers, they are also incentivized to create this clickbait, this hate bait of headlines so that you click. And so they're holding hands along a chain. Facebook is amplifying the stuff but it's the websites and the ad tech that run on those websites that is the money maker for them. Yeah, so that's a great point. Thank you for pointing that out. So we can hate Facebook as much as we want to for their algorithms <laughs> and, and what it brings out the worst of us as people and human beings. But, but to your point, the, the hate speech mongers, if you will, or the publishers don't make money until those advertisements are served on their own pages by the ad tech players. 
That's right. And I think this is a really important point because Facebook is a giant monopoly. It's very hard to change Facebook's policies, but the ad tech world is competitive. The ad tech world is a whole slew of companies, like like thousands of companies, and we can tackle that. That means the disinformation crisis is not unsolvable. It's the one place of hope within the media ecosystem for me that tells us we can do something, that we can hold these ad tech companies accountable and at least make disinformation unprofitable. The stats that were thrown out earlier about Breitbart and the the amount of revenue that they lost. Every, if you were successful in every hate speech a publisher out there had the same effect, you would have a lot less people being paid to write headlines and it would just dramatically reduce, I would think, at that point anyway. So I know you have an agency and you're working directly with brands, but you've also started a nonprofit watchdog in addition. Why the need for both? Over the course of our year and a half running Check My Ads agency, we were having the same conversation over and over again. And we could have continued to make money on running brand safety workshops, developing brand safety guidelines with teams, working in the boardrooms at these Fortune 500 companies that are at this seemingly powerful intersection between having huge ad budgets and caring a lot about their reputation. But what we were finding is that the problem was not the solution, rather, it was not scaling. Like we were having the same conversation over and over again. And so we decided to bring it to the public to. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Create a business model for ourselves that was a nonprofit so that we could continuously work in a sustainable manner on this issue and also tackle the problem at a systems level. So that's what Check My Ads Agencies or Check My Ads Institute is here to do. Check My Ads Institute, nonprofit arm, it's focused on solving disinformation economy. Tell me more. How does how how are you gonna do that? We started branded in January of 2020. And every time we publish a branded about a relationship between ad tech companies or a ad tech company and disinformation, and to be clear, I'm talking about disinformation that traffics in bigotry, xenophobia, racism, things that are dangerous, things that make you uncomfortable about your neighbor, the things that are making society a more dangerous place for marginalized people. Every single time we publish a branded, about this relationship between ad tech and disinformation, we get results. And so we've done this. Branded has been subsidized by our agency work to date. We've moved Branded now 
under the Check My Ads Institute, and we are now a research and reporting engine. So every time someone signs up as a checkmate, they're supporting that work to uncover the relationship between ad tech and disinformation so that we can sunlight it so that change happens. And it works. <laughs> That's phenomenal. And there's, it's a great cause that you guys are focused on. And I'd encourage any of the listeners that are going to listen to this conversation to become checkmates and get involved, at least in that way. It's something that you can do on an individual basis. And I would also say, you guys, there are other folks, have you thought about partnerships at all? And, and what I mean by that, there's a couple of people that I've had on my show. There's a Gustin Fu who does ad fraud tracking and, and analytics, if you will, for his clients. We've got Bob Hoffman, who is a crazy, belligerent, lovable ad commenter on all things that are going wrong in the marketing world today. And then you've got other technology providers out there too, that, who CMO previously named White Ops, now called Human, that does similar things to what Augustin Fu is doing on the ad fraud and ad bot and bot fraud, if you will, across the ecosystem. So curious if you guys have thought about partners in those regards. Yeah, we work with incredible researchers and supply chain professionals. And we would not be able to do the research that we've done without them holding our hands. Not any and I are marketers. We're not ad tech folks. So uh, it has been thanks to researchers and collaborators and whistleblowers from the ad tech world that we have been able to surface these stories and we are so grateful for them. We know and appreciate everyone that you've mentioned and there are many more who are just backroom supporters of the research and we love them. Secret allies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's a lot of secret allies. No, but the other thing I would add is that we are really focused on dismantling the disinformation economy. So ad fraud is a, is a piece of that. And at times we do overlap with it, but we have a North Star. We have a very, as some would say, biased opinion on what shouldn't be monetized. And again, like our definition of that is very clear. We believe that that content that supports transphobia or racism, xenophobia, bigotry, misogyny, and so on should not have access to advertising dollars and that advertisers should should be proactively keeping their ad dollars from that, but also reinvesting those dollars into uh, into media that, you know, responsible media. I applaud your efforts and the purity, if you will, of the mission that you're focused on, the disinformation economy. That's bright white light. You can go track. The other folks that I was mentioning, they're coming from different perspectives and it's a messy ecosystem. It's a really messy place. You've got all kinds of things going on, not just the disinformation economy, but we've talked about ad fraud. You've got legit publishers that buy fake traffic. You've got fake publishers. You've got ad tech players that are rebundling good and bad inventory. It's like the credit default swaps of the internet. And app makers have questionable attribution ad fraud as well. And it's it's really a mess. Marketers and brands can work with you either on the agency side or potentially on the institute side. Where do you start with them? Like, Where do you advocate that marketers should start if they want to just start down the path of making sure that they're doing the right thing? The call to action is in our name. It's so simple, but most marketers don't do it because they have been led to believe that their supply chain and their vendors are taking care of the problem for them. 
and they trust them and they shouldn't. I've had those same conversations with media folks on the brand side to say, do you have the right audits in place? Do you know where your ads are actually showing up? And they go, oh, yeah, of course. We have whitelists. We have blacklists. We have fraud detection. And there's just like this blanket of all these little things that we think we have, but you're saying no. Is there any trick to to getting over that hurdle, that status quo of keep doing what you, you think you're doing? I've been thinking a lot about what brand safety laundering is this week, that there are so many ad tech companies in the industry that maybe have good intentions, but who don't do the job to keep your ads away from hate speech and disinformation. They don't succeed in their mission, but they tell you, I'll take care of it. And so that's what is causing all these brand safety crises for advertisers. We hear from comms teams that say, oh, I work with a brand safety vendor. or I have an ad fraud detection vendor, and that should catch all the bad guys. It doesn't. You have to do this manually because the automated systems cannot pick up on racist dog whistles. They cannot pick up on xenophobia. They say they can, but they actually just block the news, which is a whole different subject. They are failing at their job. And so you have to, you as a marketer have to take over and make sure it's done. Sorry to say, but this is the time that we have to do this. 100% agree with you. And the notion of, I think where people have this veil of comfort is that they have these algorithms that they can block specific words or phrases. And to your point, what they ended up doing is blocking legitimate news publications that actually need the revenue. And instead of blocking the intended publisher that's putting out just pure hate speech. You know how much money has been blocked from the media, the news media over the past few years? I have no idea. I would love to know. $3.2 billion. That's insane. In 2019 alone, $3.2 billion was blocked from a total of four countries, including the United States. It's a huge problem. There's a group out of the UNC's journalism school that tracks news deserts in the U.S. only. And I was reading stats this morning, actually, about this, like something around 50% of all the counties in the United States. There's 1,500 counties in the United States. 50% of them only have one news outlet, and most of them only publish anything on a weekly basis. And so if you think about good news, good information that coming from legitimate journalistic outlets versus the sites that are now filling the void, <laughs> $3.2 billion, even if it's divided among four countries, could employ a lot of journalists in the United States. Over the last decade, 30,000 people have lost their jobs in journalism. This is a nightmare scenario. We have a disinformation crisis and we have the decline of the journalism industry at the hands of the digital ad tech industry. This is a $400 billion industry that is just like those air traffic control people at airports, just dictating who gets money and who does not. And we have to pay attention as a society. We have to pay attention to this. And let me just use this time to say one more thing about this. This is not a left versus right discussion. I want to be crystal clear that we are talking about disinformation, which is the continuous scapegoating of marginalized populations for the purposes of profit or political gain versus journalistic standards. We are optimizing for journalistic standards at Check My Ads, and I want to be crystal clear on that point. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, this is an everybody problem. This isn't one side, blue or red. This is a purple issue. Everybody should be concerned about this because if I, 
I, I can't get legitimate information. How do I make good decisions? Yeah. And often this information is this lack of information or this confusion around what you know information is at this point has led to a real public safety crisis. We all know folks who've fallen prey to the QAnon conspiracy theory or to anti-vax disinformation. So this is not just a disinformation crisis. This is a public safety crisis and it, it affects all of our lives, whether we realize it or not. Again, I, I, I do. I'm very excited about the work you guys are doing. I look forward to following you guys. What does 2022 look like for you both? We have big plans. We are uh, featured speakers at South by Southwest. We are speaking at various conferences in Europe and around America. And our plan is to bring all of the information that we have learned over the last two years to the public deserves to know what is creating a public safety crisis. It is the ad tech industry and their lack of action, as you so eloquently said earlier, Alan. We need to have backbones as marketers. We are actually on the hook for a lot of consequences from the industry. And I think that this is a wonderful opportunity for us to not only take stock of what's going on, but react. I think that there is hope. And I think that if we all work together, we can actually fix this problem, which is very exciting to me. It's a good lesson for marketers too, that I think it's this old adage saying that people say, if it's too easy to be true, I can't even get it right, but if it's too easy, it's probably likely not true. Like the notion the easy click to buy ads and they get cheaper over time, like lower CPMs every time I look around, that can't be true at some level, right? And we need to be scratching your head and, and doing the hard work that you guys are describing, like checking your ads for marketers out there. Wake up. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, especially because one of the things that we're really focusing on is we're going to be, as we activate the public, we're going to be turning the public's attention to the advertising industry. So this is something that advertisers had to deal with last year during the Facebook ad boycott. And we are giving you full prior warning that <laughs> we're coming. It's going to happen again and it's going to keep happening. So it's time to make a plan and time to act. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I, I want to switch gears. I, I always like to ask people that come on the show a, a series of questions and just to get to better know you as individuals and, and then get your final take, if you will, on, on marketing. But in that effort, my favorite question to ask, and I guess either one of you can go first, is you know, has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? In 2014, I had a serious bike accident and ended with a concussion where I couldn't walk for a year. My brain just wouldn't tell my muscles to move. And that experience of being alone and silent for months and months taught me a lot about how the drive that we all have to produce and grow and network is all superfluous, that we have to, at our core, optimize for kindness and self-respect. And being quiet taught me that it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. It doesn't even matter if we can win. What matters is how I think about myself. It's very wise. Thank you, Claire. Dini, what would you say? As for me, a few years ago, I, I left Sleeping Giants under some very difficult circumstances. And I had this belief that 
I would never do anything big with my life again. I thought that defunding Breitbart and getting on the front page of the New York Times when we came out two years later was really the peak of my career and I would just never do anything again. And I was really nothing without it. And what I've learned since then is that the things that I did at Sleeping Giants and the success that we had at Sleeping Giants was not an accident, but you know, my work being successful, that was my hard work and that I'm the common denominator of all the things that all the success that we've experienced. I think that knowledge is something that I've taken with me to all the new projects and new endeavors that we've taken on since then and reminding myself that I am the common denominator of my success, of our success has been a guiding belief. What advice would you give your younger selves if you're starting all over? Claire, do you want to kick that one off? I think two things and they are in opposition to one another. The first is that rest is important and time alone is important. Time in silence is important. But the other is if there's something that's hard to learn, learn it. AdTech to me was something as a marketer, I didn't care to learn because it was obtuse and obscure and complicated and full of dudes who were gatekeeping. And it took me learning just just a little bit for me to realize, oh, I should have paid more attention to this. So yeah, opposing two things. Uh, Dini, how about you? Mine's very simple. I would recommend to my younger self that I spend more time stretching. (laughs) 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 I've learned the hard way. (laughs) I'm in my 40s and that, yeah, it only gets worse. It only gets worse. Yeah, I'm pretty intense and I will sit at the computer for hours and not realize that I'm not stretching and I'm not drinking water. And that has been brutal. Not only does stretching help you physically, but it's also helped me to think better. Agree. Good blood flow. Good blood flow. All you kids (laughs) out there, don't forget to stretch. (laughs) Okay, Boomer. So last question, uh, a little bit more reflective on marketing. What do you guys feel is either the largest opportunity or threat? To marketers today? This is a great question. I think that what marketers think is their largest threat is actually their largest opportunity. Marketers are terrified of being in what, what we call in the industry as a brand safety crisis or a social media crisis. And they're scared of that happening because of what that means. And it's usually, when we think of a brand safety crisis, we think of it as a shitstorm of messages and just a whirlwind of angry people. And what I have learned as someone who has started many of these brand safety crises is that it is always an opportunity. It is an opportunity to affirm what your brand stands for. It's an opportunity to act on your brand values that you have been talking about in your marketing. And it's an opportunity to connect with customers on a level that they care about. So in marketing, we think so much about advertising and getting our message out. But today, what customers and what audiences are really looking at is to see that your actions match your rhetoric. So when a marketer sees a brand safety crisis, I I see an opportunity to clarify what you're really about. And that's a huge opportunity because if you get that right, that helps you cement your brand equity like no other thing that you'll ever do in your discipline as a marketer. So use that, use that as an opportunity and use it as a way to 
to respond and to talk to your customers rather than to shut down. Claire, anything you want to add? The only thing I would add is that as a marketer, you represent so much more than like comms because you're speaking loudly and proudly on behalf of an entire team. And so to us, we've realized that brand safety is not an advertising problem. It is a marketing problem. It is a communications problem. It is a PR problem. It is a brand problem. And thus, a solution for all of those things as well. It gets you crystal clear on what your values are as a company. And we work with a lot of teams who end up not really caring as much about their customers as they do about their employee morale. And so I would just remind marketers that what we're doing is also collaborating with a team and we need the team to trust that we are representing them, our fellow employees and colleagues out in the public with integrity. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with support from my team and podcast editors, sound engineers, and writers at Share Your Genius. Find them at shareyourgenius.com. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners. You can contact me on marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you will also find complete show notes, links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.